All right, welcome back to the Gooch, episode twenty-four. Uh, we're sitting here with Kim Cruchel, Edmonton mayoral candidate, former uh, city council. Uh, we've heard a little bit about her past year as well, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to like Kim. I'm starting to like <laughs> Kim a lot, actually. Uh, so uh, I suppose we'll start off. I just want you to introduce yourself to our lovely listeners. And uh, uh, the first question I really have is, uh, what made you want to get back into it? Well, I think the first reason why I decided to get back into it is because as I was telling you guys, yeah. I spent 18 years. I was actually um, an executive assistant for former city councilor, Larry Langley, yep. who was a city councilor for nine years and represented Southwest of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the front lines. I was the person that everybody called when they had the dark dog barking complaint, the <laughs> I'm not happy with the neighbor next door because of trash, you name it. I yeah. was it. And that taught me how to navigate the city bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And then in 2004, Larry was like, Kim, you need to run. And I surprised him because I decided to run north of the river because that's where I live. I see. So I was lucky enough to get elected in 2004. And then I got a lot of stuff done based on what I learned being an EA. Mm-hmm. Yep. And why run again? Well, I've been in the tech sector. Yep. I see the future. I think you guys do <laughs> too. That's why you're doing a podcast. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we, we yeah. Like to, we I like to think we have. Taylor. Yeah, we like to think we have our finger on the pulse, but yeah, uh, yeah not. 100%. I just think we can do a better job than CBC, CNN, and Fox. Uh, you know, it's uh, become quite partisan, and uh, I think the middle ground, uh, like we were kind of discussing before mm-hmm. this, has kind of been uh, disappearing, and it's a lot easier to kind of fight left and right than actually, you know, agree on things and move on. Um, you know, uh, we, we went through, uh, your platform there and, uh, you know, I, I, I asked Amarjeet the same kind of question. Um, you know, a lot of politicians tend to use a little bit of flowery language when yeah. uh, they're making their platform. And, uh, what, what I want to do with this is just go through your platform and, you know, find out articulately where you stand on a few issues as well. Sure. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll turn the table over to Tristan here. I know he's got a lot of good questions <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. No, oh, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, well, we're, we're really excited to have you here. And yeah, I think that one of the things like we, we'd spoken briefly off air as well. And, and you'd mentioned the kind of the, the disappearing middle ground. And that's what we kind of endeavor to do is, is add middle ground to the conversation. <clears throat> Try and, uh, I mean, I'd always been labeled as someone on the left. Evan's always been labeled as someone on the right. But if we always defended everything that falls under those labels, yeah. then we'd be exhausted and also fighting a fight that isn't ours. Cause we don't necessarily agree with all of those. So it's nice to just, remove the labels and come to come to a table, have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think on that note, like one of the ones that always stands out is there seems to be a stark contrast in people's policies, either in terms of when they're talking about building up uh, their vision for the city and people are talking about vibrancy, there's a couple of different ways that that can be interpreted. And I'm kind of curious what you mean when you're talking about making a more vibrant city. Um, because I think on the you can get from an economic standpoint, you can get a social standpoint from, you know, tackling homelessness would be one thing. Making more storefronts would be another way of going. Uh, bringing in more uh, uh, BIPOC and international immigra- immigration could be another way. There's a lot of different approaches to making a vibrant city. What would you say, um, as that's the top point, I think, on your website, mm-hmm. what would you say would be how you envision a vibrant Edmonton? Well, 
I want to clarify that it's vibrant and connected city. Fair enough. Fair huh. enough. And that is important. I know you got a tech the te- yep. tech side there. And this is one of the reasons that I'm running. Okay. Look, if we're going to have a future and not be a have not city, then we need to take a major play into innovation and technology. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yep. And I have been living and breathing tech and innovation for the last eight years. And yep. We've been helping tech companies ourselves. We created a group called BarTech where we just, I had a barbecue in my backyard, started having uh, tech companies do pop-ups, showed investors, and then got the media to start doing stories on some of these tech companies. And it's had impact to the point where one of our tech companies won the NASA iTech in the US, which is a big flipping deal. Yeah, Yeah, very big deal. What most people don't know is we've had more tech companies make it into the NASA iTech Ignite the Night than any city in the world. Interesting. That is interesting. That's, that's I, I would have that, no idea. Yeah, you'd think that we'd want to hear about that. As, I mean, it's it's so... As someone from BC, it's so fascinating when I hear about investment in this city because people only ever hear it as one of two things. They either hear it as like a socialist outcry to try and uh, give drug addicts free drugs. Or more or, oil and gas. Or they see it as <laughs> yeah. a pure puritanical capitalistic outcry of why don't we give these these giant guys driving in pickups with truck nuts on the back more more cash. Like it seems like it's so polarized as to which way it is. And the tech innovation, so... Just, just for ba- background clarification for yourself, I, I, I spent the last three years prior to moving here in Kamloops, which is kind of a weird tech hub and also kind of a weird yeah, legal hub. Yeah. yeah, and and they're also a pipeline. So like yep. they have a law school, they have a pipeline going through yep. them, and they had the first solar walkway in the entire in all of North America. So they have they have an interesting kind of blend of people there, and that's that's tech. Uh, Kamloops's approach is to be at the forefront of technology because they have oil money, because they're on indigenous territory. To me, Edmonton always screamed as a much larger version of Kamloops mm-hmm. and yep. the potential being there as well. In fact, I think even more because you've got a world-class school in university of Alberta and that's yeah. not to take a shot at, at TRU. It's uh, my alma mater, but it, U, U of A is internationally recognized. Um, so I guess on that note, when we're talking about connected, what would be your idea to connect the city better? And how would you encourage investment? And as the guy on the left, how would you encourage investment without giving cash dollars or tax subsidies to the companies to get here? Well, just like what we started doing with Bartech, we didn't actually take any cash subsidies. What we did is we got people who a lot of connections I had who I knew had done well in business. who had not invested in technology before, no strings attached. They could just check out, you know, the tech companies and then decide whether they thought that was worth investing. We also did some training, not more ad hoc, but we would explain to people, you know, in the tech world, you use a different vehicle for fundraising. It's called a safe note. It was created actually by a law firm we call MoFo in Silicon Valley for Y Combinator, okay. which is a fairly well-known entity, but they, they've had some successful companies like Airbnb come out of Y Combinator. Okay. But um, a safe note is a way, a vehicle that tech companies use to raise cash. And in a tech world, you have to raise, usually start from family and friends, then yeah. you go to another raise, and then eventually you get to what we call Series A. And I mean, I think most people have heard that Uber's had, what, a Series J, and now they're finally IPO. Yeah. But uh, so we were training some of the investors and getting them involved. And then the media helped, too. 
like David Staples did a column on Ryan Tucker, who was the brand new CEO of a company called G2V Optics. Okay. And what they've done is he and the finder, Mike, founder Mike have developed light technology that grows plants at a faster rate. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine wow. for food, it's a pretty big deal, especially for food insecurity. Yeah, I saw I saw actually at our local Safeway, they actually have their own growing zone now where they're growing things. I don't know if that's connected that's to what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's connected, but I will tell you that Ryan is doing really well. They ended up um, meeting a group at my barbecue that got them connected with the radar group in Edmonton and that helped them get their first raise. Yeah. And then they just recently did a 2.7 million raise and I've heard they're already positive in revenues and doing really well. Wow. And our only ask of these tech companies that have done well from bar tech is that they have to give back to the tech Edmonton ecosystem. Okay. But there's a bunch of us as founders of companies that are helping each other out. Yeah. And it gets back to that collaborative model of we care about Edmonton. And why do we care about Edmonton? What's unique about this city? what I'd love to bottle up is the fact that people here do actually care about their neighbors. They actually care about the city doing well. And you see that in everything, whether they're right or left, all of them are anxious for Edmonton to do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely a large pull to get people all, all going in the right direction. I think that the, the one thing when it comes to technology is that, uh, it can be kind of similar when we're talking about medical or or any or any kind of complex situation. Sometimes it becomes polarizing just because of the topic itself is beyond some people's grasp. So uh, most of the tech world is run privately through private uh, like through private firms, private corporations. Well, it's just like um, any business. Yeah, like well, like, like almost just, any. It's just like any business. I mean, here's what I want to get across. I have a 21 year old son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his friends looks like they're not going to be staying in Edmonton. And that's a concern for me. That's what actually spurred me to step back up. Mm -hmm. And why make a big deal about innovation technology? Because I've heard some people out there have said, why is Kim taking such a big stand on that? It has to do with vision. I see what's coming. I've been, you know, to now, what, five NASA iTechs in the U.S.? Yeah. I've been to the Global Leadership Summit at The Hague, and I've seen what's coming. And I realize that... Whether you like it or not, and you have a business right now, and I don't care if it's in the oil sector or if it's a restaurant, you are now learning all about technology and innovation. Oh, totally. No, because you're industry, getting skipped the dishes yeah. or you're doing a podcast like this. So everything that we do is innovation and technology. And mm-hmm. what matters is how do we capture that and become a half city around that? And so some of the ideas that I have is I want to bring potentially get NASA iTech to consider coming to Edmonton for the first international Edmonton NASA iTech program. And what is NASA iTech? NASA discovered people were building tech in their basements that NASA wanted to know about for their mission in space. Yeah. And so they started by hooking this program up to every tech event in the U.S. So TechCrunch, yeah. you know, in San Francisco, CES in Vegas that people may have heard about South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And the technology that's come out of there is unbelievable. And we have some amazing ones in Edmonton. RSMD didn't just win the NASA iTech at South by Southwest. They won the overall best tech uh, in the NASA forum that they have. So they have more than one kind of wow. event. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw, in fact, just before COVID hit, we had two Edmonton tech companies in the Tampa, Florida, NASA iTech. One was Tevisol, yeah. which um, if you haven't heard of Dr. Jayan Nagendran, you guys should get him on your podcast. 
Yeah, we'll the, have to uh, take that name afterwards for yeah, sure. Definitely. He, um, he's a lung, the lung charge of lung transplantation for Western oh Canada. My God. That would yeah, be that, very that cool to talk right. about. I, think I yeah. know that guy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might need he's, some new lungs. He's a transplant surgeon. Yeah. And he and his uh, buddy, who's a pediatric transplant surgeon, developed a device for lungs to be put into this device when they're transported so that they can. Wow. They can, you know, successfully get that surgery to happen. Wow. And it's it's an interesting story behind them because they had were frustrated that people were using igloos and putting a lung in an igloo and they were having not they couldn't use the lung. Yeah. So well, you can that imagine makes sense. losing a loved one and you're expecting the organ transplant to happen and it doesn't happen. Yeah. My yeah, question, I can imagine. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you out. So they actually won the Tampa, Florida one. And oh, Easy On Route was the other technology company. Yeah. They have chip technology that can track any, anyone or anything inside or outside. Okay. Their tech is being used by Aurora School right now which is downtown in Edmonton. Yep. And the parents have an iPad. They can go on there and they can see their child and where their child gets off the bus. So the tech was developed by a guy by the name of Amit Anon because he wanted to make sure that his son, his nephew actually got off at the wrong bus stop and so did his kid. And so they started thinking about it. That's where they got oh, okay. the idea. And so, so like, like uh, wait, how are these, like are, are these chips like, Embedded. This isn't like the Archangel chip from Black Mirror, right? Like, okay, are they okay, embedded guys. in the children? <laughs> Let's be real here. Are they, are the kids I, don't get me phones? wrong. Technology, and especially when you, and I could talk about for hours probably on quantum computing because that's yeah. the crazy stuff. That's where you start talking yeah. about Terminator and it's happening. And I actually know the guy that's building the programming language You're, that's working on the first commercial quantum computer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I had heard that they had actually just defied physics recently about a couple of weeks yeah. ago out of, I think it was Berkeley that was it Berkeley? No, it was. So, oh man, well, the no, first it, was Google, it was Google that had done something with well, one the other first quantum. I mean, st it sits in Stanford and it looks like a chandelier. Oh, okay. But IBM just unrolled their first commercial quantum computer. Yeah. And that's what um, the guy who's company and who's working on this is, it's called Strangeworks. He's out of the US. He's based out of Austin. His name's William Hurley. Yeah. Um, but there, there is all kinds of different things happening in tech. I think the key is, is how can a city get ahead of the curve yeah. and create opportunity? Mm -hmm. And this is where Edmonton could really put itself on the map. Some of the technology I've just described, one, we need to do a better job of marketing the fact that we're getting these wins. Yeah. Uh, oh, 100%. Absolutely. The fact that we don't know about of that. this is yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, it has been in the news, but it hasn't been a concentrated approach of saying, look at the wins we're getting. Yeah. Well, and it should be everybody that's running should be, like, it shouldn't be just people who are interested in technology. It should be people who are interested in economic development that exactly. should know oh, about technology as an option because yeah. this well, is something to rest your hat on. And that's why I'm saying not just tech. People yeah. hear tech and on the right, they're like, it's going to get rid of my job. That's not that's actually, where I was gonna go, that's you not know? actually true. In fact, it creates more jobs. That's the irony. Lower paying jobs, but yeah. Well, in some cases and in some cases not. And in I think most that, cases. well, but wait <laughs> a second. <laughs> you got to look at um, what we're churning out in our post-secondaries. So yep. one of the things we need to do, and I talk about this in my platform, is mm -hmm. work with the post-secondaries to start aligning what the jobs are of the future. I completely agree. With that, because yeah. that addresses what you're talking about. I'm not saying that tech is perfect and yeah. it does displace. Well, the, the way I look at it, I mean, the U of A, I mean, if I, if I applied for the military tomorrow yeah. uh, and I, I got accepted, they'd give me four or five different positions that they're hiring for, and then I'd train for it and I'd have a job. 
Why is it that the government can give the university unconscionably more money than they give the military? And you have no idea after you get a degree, <laughs> before you get a degree, or even while you're getting a degree, if you're going to have a sustainable income. And if that's something that's government funded, that's definitely something that we should look at becoming a little more efficient because I think we've talked about it on this podcast before 60% of Canadians have a post-secondary degree, uh, but not all of them are working in the field that they have a degree from yeah. um, if, uh, on the onset. Tristan, I mean, yeah. he's got a law degree. Absolutely. He, he doesn't work in a law field. And I think that the level of education isn't really the issue. I think us millennials, especially aspired for education. We we got lied to. I think. Well, yeah, I think. I mean, if you look at the stats, we're the most we're the most educated, most mm -hmm. most uh, indebted. I guess my question would be: yeah. <laughs> if you want to go towards technology, and you want to build Edmonton as a technological hub, obviously a lot of technological advancements go towards mechanization of human labor, and the company that comes to mind. Uh, when technology and commerce kind of come together in a big way is Amazon. Yeah. And I can't really speak highly on how Amazon pays their employees, treats their employees, and does business. And my, my caution, I guess, and my question is, if we're going to be replacing, uh, we're going to be, you know, working towards more technological advancement, what are we going to do for all the people that are now left with minimum wage jobs? Because you can see every time Amazon or any big company like Walmart moves into a city and essentially capitalizes on the lower prices and the efficiency, they also terrorize brick-and-mortar stores. So, Evan, I think what's going to happen is we're going to turn around on its head. And okay. I'll give you an example. I ran in at Startup TNT to a company called Uproot. Okay. And they are creating um, an Amazon, basically, mar marketplace for local companies. So what they've been doing mm -hmm. is recruiting all of the, in fact, I've been there, Bountiful Marketplace. Yep. Has oh, all yeah, kinds yeah, yeah. of really awesome small businesses. So they're an equalizer. Yeah, okay. They're backed by Shopify and a back end. Mm -hmm. So Chris and this startup, that's exactly what they're doing. They're creating new jobs and they don't have the same approaches Amazon. So they're Fair. getting support. Yeah. Here's another example. Our procurement policy at the city of Edmonton, we could do a heck of a lot better job of trying to support our local contractors. I'd agree and I with know that. what I'm talking about yeah. because when I was on city council, one of the programs that I really fought hard to get was neighborhood renewal program. Yeah. Were you also in city council? You were the Northwest. Were you part of that airport shut down as well? Oh, yeah, we can talk about that. that I'd, I'd that, be happy to. That would be a longer conversation <laughs> yeah. than today. Yeah. But uh, the Neighborhood Renewal Program is a program designed so that when a neighborhood comes due, we have enough money to fix it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what it's done really well is it's enough of a fund now. And we did it as a dedicated tax, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't normally necessarily want to do that. But in this case, I wanted a dedicated tax so that politicians in the future couldn't try to take from that pool of funds for something else yeah. mm -hmm. so that Edmontonians would know that's their fund to fix their neighborhood. Yeah. And that's, today that's we started with 300 neighborhoods today. We've touched 237 mm -hmm. and that money is keeping local contractors in business and keeping people in good paying jobs. Mm -hmm. So that's where you start to look at, okay, we have, 
we're using a technology that's more global. What about local innovation and how can we make that happen? Yeah. And what kind of jobs can we create? So Uproot's an example. You know, Tivasol is an example of a company we want to keep here because they're developing how you do lung, you know, organ transplants better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big story for us. And it's a global reach too. It's, it's not just a local reach. thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same with Easy on Route. Their technology is game changing in a whole bunch of industries. We mm-hmm. want them to stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's the reality that we're all facing is that innovation and technology is happening every day. Yeah. That's yeah. why, you know, I was uh, on a, a forum where we were talking with seniors and it was interesting because one of the candidates said seniors only care about the here and now the present. And I disagreed. And the reason I disagreed is because most seniors I know care about their kids and their grandkids, mm-hmm. yeah. want them to have the kind of life that they had or, or want them to have a better life. Yeah. yeah. And so they are thinking about the future. Now, 95%, I was told by one of the seniors associations of seniors actually have some smartphones or some type of a device. Yeah. Because with the COVID, seniors were isolated even more than normal. I think that that percentage would explain the comment section on Facebook too, though. (laughs) Well, it probably would because they now learned how to talk on social media. But the fact is, is that my own mom, it it made a huge difference for her. Mm -hmm. You know, she could go on an iPad and she could suddenly do a yoga class and feel like she was connected to people, even though she was stuck in her home. Yeah. Uh, So... Technology is coming. The question is what leaders are going to take the baton and yeah. actually become and move our city forward to actually make sure that we get as much locally as we can. My now, question, there's also industries, which we haven't talked about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you were talking about the chips and cars. Mm-hmm. Well, chips are powered by rare earth metal. So we yes. have a global supply chain, supply chain problem and we have a rare earth metal problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. China controls 90% of all rare earth metals. Yeah. Certain ones, yes. Well, yeah. the, the, well the, what, when she's using rare earth metals term, it's actually a legal term. So rare earth metals are not actually rare. They're common. They're just... Yeah. Yeah. So it's... But yeah, 90% of the global deposit is actually underneath the nation of China. Yeah. It's, it's what I was talking about when Canada imposes a 250% tariff on uh, all incoming oh, solar yeah. projects. Yeah. yeah. That's actually to offset the, the uh, competitive advantage that China has mm-hmm. uh, under the guise of trying to enable local competition, which is quite literally impossible. So when we're talking about <laughs> local competition, here's a question. Yeah. Alberta has tons of untapped rare earth metals. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna have to look at the sustainability, but we're already mining for the oil sands. So we're already digging. We were mm-hmm. willing to dig the side of a mountain. So for we're coal, digging the so. side of a mountain and we're not extracting rare earth metals at the same time. So how do we change that? Well, I've how asked how do we actually recycle rare earth metals? Yeah. I've asked similar questions of our hemp uh, or of our cannabis industry as well, because our, uh, I know uh, last week when we had Mr. Sohi on, he had worked in the agricultural sector at the federal level. And uh, it was actually some, somewhat surprising to to find out that he had very limited uh, experience or, uh, when it came to understanding the hemp industry on a on an international uh, uh, level and the values of what we could be pulling out when we're already in there, right? And it's the same thing, Absolutely. I think, what you're saying when it comes to drilling. I uh, I actually have kind of a, a question in terms of encouraging that development because I think that... I was just going to go there. Because, yeah, yeah so, <laughs> so I know you're from California. Um, I know most of the tech companies start in California. And we're, ta- we're hearing about most of the tech companies, it seems like, are actually coming out of Edmonton too, which is cool. So there's kind of an interesting yep. connection there. Uh, but having said that, the winners and where they all house and where all of these shows happen to be are in Florida and Texas in no tax states. 
They start in California. They start in Cal- yeah, because they need the subsidies in order to start, yeah. and then they fuck off once they've got the money. Yeah. So, I'm I'm curious because we've wa- we're now watching a provincial government that's handed away uh, the to the tune of almost five billion dollars to private uh, industry that have all left. We just gave a hundred million dollars to Labatt for twenty five jobs that are subsidized at twenty five percent. Financial mismanagement is is honestly it's so commonplace right now in politics. It's shocking. It's almost expected. Like when you talk to yeah. politicians, they're like, oh. We we have we have no budget we'll just get it done yeah. like, what, what like, happened to accountability so yeah before you we know? even came on to the podcast just for clarity too just to know that kim is not in that boat uh she was questioning the potential of even writing off a car under her campaign so we know she's uh, yeah, she's above like, board but i'm just uh, what, what I, I mean i mean when when somebody else is writing off a 30 million dollar war room i think we know that who's who's in the right and who's not in the right here but, but i think the answer to that though again is a, going back to that model that we did with bartek yeah like the collaborative side? Yeah. And here, I'll tell you why. The re- What we all had in common as tech companies is all of us are choosing to live in Edmonton and we love this city. Yeah. Like it's not BS. It's actually true. And so what we were trying to do is figure out how do we keep these companies here so they don't take off? Yeah. And that's the value set proposition that we were doing with founders helping each other. Yeah. It's not that we want to go get big exits and, you know, take off. And on the deal that I just recently done, one of the questions was, do you want to stay in Edmonton? And the answer was, yeah, I like this. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. We're at the point where you don't have to be Silicon Valley. You don't have to go to California anymore. It's actually the exact opposite. Yeah. yeah. Now it's going to be. I think it's going to be local hubs. And I think it's how we do it that's going to make the difference. Now, I do think it's time to grow up. Yeah. I think we need Calgary, Grand Prairie. You know, we've always been the gateway of the north. Well, we need to act more like it as a city. Yeah. And that means working with Grand Prairie, working with Fort McMurray. And you've got guys making all kinds of interesting innovation, whether it's a widget that they've designed that makes a huge difference in some industry or whether it's, you know, tech oriented. Yeah. But we need to tap into those people and help them with that bar tech mentality. That doesn't mean tons of government subsidies. No, mm-hmm. fair enough. What the city could do, though, that would be legit, that would make a difference for all of us is validate either innovation or technology that makes sense that improves customer service for citizens. So for example, I look at Easy Ron Roots uh, technology. You could take their stuff and actually retrofit light so that we could get better synchronized systems in place and a lot cheaper than the retrofit I heard it takes to redo one intersection right now, which I was told is 250 grand. Well, apparently it costs $200,000 or just shy of 200000 I think it's $174,000 a year to operate a single speed traffic light. What's your and, opinion on the speed traffic? And we traffic? make apparently two grand. Well, you know, the, it's interesting, the, the whole radar. 40K and everything else that we're seeing. When I was oh, in, yeah. you push that through on city council. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know. I, 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 the question that I had was when I was on council, <laughs> I was on traffic safety. Like mm-hmm. I did some of the work there and I'm evidence-based research. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm a bit of a nerd that way. I think you and, and I would have some fun conversations yeah. on this. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, wait, I'll tell you guys about the bar safety and what we discovered on data. Like it was mind blowing. But yeah. when it comes to evidence-based research, I really geeked out on the traffic safety because mm-hmm. what I did was looked at where are the number one accident locations in Edmonton? Because speeding and everything related to traffic is traffic safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your argument for having photo radar is that you're saving people's lives. Now yeah. you're making yeah. money. Yeah. Well, not, not making even, money is not, not the argument. Well, barely, but yeah. But I get where you're coming from. So if your reason for doing it is traffic safety, then you should be able to show the evidence to back that up. 
And so one of the things we did when I was on council was we actually looked at the top accident locations. Like 23rd Ave was the worst. This is before we had the overpass. Yeah. It's one of the it reasons why, <laughs> why people like me fought for the overpass. And if yeah. we, we were, unfortunately were delayed by two years. So it cost us a heck of a lot more money. But that was part of the reason why we did it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing was I represented an area at the time. We had 97th Street and 137th Avenue, which is one of the yeah. other big accident locations. And I thought it was left hand. You know, you're coming off 97th onto 137th mm -hmm. Ave. When we did the actual research, it turned out it was the right hand turn. What was happening was the right hand lane was too short. So people would drive up, stop, and then they'd start to go. So the first car would be going and then they'd suddenly get better sight line. And they'd see a car coming at them and they'd stop. The car behind would plow in mm. behind. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we changed the the actual right-hand lane going to the right. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it's not... And all of a sudden, you yeah. can help reduce the accident. So that's the approach well, we need to take on traffic lane, safety. I mean. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. you know, the bike lane thing, I don't know. <laughs> Downtown maybe, but... Our original plan when I was on council was one bike lane separated from traffic that would be north-south and one east-west. The north-south was kind of obvious. Yeah, We were supposed to put it on the new signature bridge. And I actually got into a lot of trouble because originally I wanted a new bridge coming off of our gateway. Because I couldn't understand why we didn't have a straight shot towards our downtown. Yeah, that makes sense. But I lost that one pretty hard. A lot of Edmontonians made it very clear that they did not want any change in terms of the River Valley doing that. So yeah. that did not happen. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, But in the end, in arms. on the signature bridge that we did, uh, the idea was you would have a dedicated bike lane that would come up there. We'd go up 105th, mm -hmm. not 103rd Street, but 105th and connect 105th Ave. Which yeah. then gets you to the corridor where you've got the old rail corridor. So then you would then you would connect, and then eventually you'd go over the Yellowhead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was the original bike lane plan. Today we've got bike lanes all over the place. I have to go try them out because honestly I haven't. <laughs> and I've heard many complaints on bike lanes, and then I've heard people who say they love them. So it's one of those things uh, that. Well, I think they're the great for two months of the with. year, you know, but it's... Yeah, winter is winter here. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Like, I mean, you got to no be way. realistic about that. Yeah, uh, in BC, they, they hit a lot of snags, mostly because the people who were riding, they were riding $7,000 street bikes downtown because they were all incredibly wealthy. And it was the people who, the people who were driving in <laughs> from Surrey in lower income areas to work downtown that couldn't afford the luxury now had to wait longer in traffic. And so it was actually the wealthy locals were the ones getting the hands off the people who were just over the bridge in the most wealthy areas and their $2 million and $4 million houses that were able to ride their bikes in and nobody was riding a, nobody wants to go on a two hour bike ride before work. So yeah, it, it's interesting. Edmonton's a lot more sprawl, so it seems like it it would. Uh, well, we're definitely a lot more spread out and, and a lot flatter, which makes a little bit more. Yeah, sense. Well, it's yeah. tough for Edmonton. Look, we're a region. Yeah. People keep forgetting this. You know, everyone talks about urban sprawl, and I get it. We'd like more densification, but you got to look and be realistic in terms of where we're at. And yeah. I do support more densification. In fact, when I was on council, I I think I only did not vote for one project, which was a crazy project. Yeah. Otherwise, I was supporting every <clears throat> infill there was. But within reason, um, the today when I look forward, I, the challenge Edmonton has is that it's not like Sherwood Park and St. Albert and yeah. Mournville and Spruce Grove aren't going to continue to spread out. So either Edmonton is continuing, it's going to be a constant. So at some point, the province is going to have to look at this reality yeah. because that's what we're really dealing with. Yeah. And so common sense tells you 
Sure, Edmonton can put a ring around itself. It's not going to stop the rest of the area going. And the biggest issue we face is being a hole, the hole in the donut. Well, and it actually, I, I can speak to that from, uh, so I actually didn't mention this off air, but I, I, so now I manage in retail right now and I've been doing that for the last year and a uh, bit, uh, a year and a half now. And, uh, one of the most, it was the most obvious time of the year was when uh, the province, uh, refused to put any mandates in place and the city did. And what happened is, is all of the people who don't live within the city would come from outside of the city and then instantly were polarized by the fact that they have new rules to follow once they come in because you know if you're in st albert you don't have a mask mandate versus the city of edmonton Mm. and things like that so coming into the stores and it puts so much more pressure and stress on the local uh store owners who have these mandates that we have to follow otherwise the 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 alberta health can can pull our license and so we have to you know be following these certain protocols so i get like the sprawl is an important thing to address i think it also Kind of off air, you had mentioned how um, at your time in South Korea, you'd seen the the, the division or not. Sorry, it, you were talking about uh, Mexico rather. And it was how um, the federal government weakening uh, has actually given way to more corruptibility in terms of the smaller the zones. Yeah. yeah. And I and I think that you see that when we split up municipalities um, that are very, very close. And or because of $10 a day child care. Or, or, well, yeah. But I mean, I mean, more in terms of like these communities that. We pretend like they're not connected when they're very, very intricately connected. And we all drive within these communities like Mm -hmm. vehicles. We we travel. It actually works. It's an interesting symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Because here's the deal. When we all talk about downtown, you get people Mm -hmm. who who like to say who cares about Edmonton's downtown. There's a reason why we care about it. It has to do with the reputation of our city, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Well, maybe if you build buildings that people could actually afford to live in, we'd have a more vibrant downtown. You know, if we didn't shut down the airport for no reason and try to build a eco-friendly... <laughs> you right, see where he feels Evan, Evan is you not going back there, today. Evan? Pardon me? You want to go on the airport? Here's what I'll tell you. And, mm-hmm. and like, it well, was it's fascinating. Just, it's, it's on the onset. Like, you're saying that we need to have more people living in the downtown. And when there's only uh, three or four guys... Not, I, I, what I Actually, I think we need a three-time... We need a three-prong approach to the downtown, not just I, people living there. I think, yeah. I think we need jobs and opportunity down there. We need people agree. living there. And we need a big entertainment district. Okay. So that we can play downtown. So that's actually what I think about the downtown. In terms mm-hmm. of the airport, the reason why people like me stood up and and fought the fought to close it was because of liabilities to our taxpayers. Very simple. <clears throat> liabilities such as? Well, it turned out that... When we did the referendum in 1995, it was very specific that there should be no scheduled air service out of there. Okay. And when the city manager and the city of Edmonton actually ratified that, they put things in place that created a situation where we weren't supposed to have scheduled air service out of there. Okay. And so flash forward to when I got elected, none of us had the airport on our radar. Mm-hmm. We let sleeping dogs lie. It was not exactly a burning issue for anyone that was on council. Well, it was the developers that wanted to push no, city council. Developers to build weren't buildings. interested in Blatchford whatsoever. Well, no, it was, it was more the fact that because we had an airport in the municipal city center, we couldn't build buildings that were certainly a no, certain size. That's the irony that actually came after. Like the mm. reality is, is they weren't hand in hand. There was no, there was actually no connection between the arena and the municipal airport. Okay. Municipal airport, when I did the research, it, it didn't take me long to figure out that we had significant liabilities and that SCED service was actually scheduled to end in January of 2012. We okay. just didn't know it. And the airport wasn't viable without SCED service to the north. 
Okay. And so that was part of the reality that we were facing. And in fact, if the province of Alberta had needed it for Medivac, we were more than willing to sell it. Mm -hmm. And for all the wealthy guys that wanted it kept open, uh, we've been happy to sell it to them too. Yeah. The reality is they wanted our taxpayers to subsidize an airport. So we subsidized a giant Rogers place that makes no one money. It's well, that's actually not how the CRL works. Well, no, but you're, you're you talking... You do get how the CRL works, right? Please, please explain it. Oh, All right. I don't. Oh, yeah. Evan. The community revitalization <laughs> levy was set up by the province, it, and it was a way that if you have an area you need to redevelop, which let's face it, we, we tried to put as much of our downtown in there as we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with the CRL, if you as a city, so it's not just Edmonton anywhere, have an area that can be redeveloped and you have a signature project, so you had to have a signature project, something big, okay. then you get to keep all the market value assessment uplift from the tax benefit okay. and you get to keep every bit of the education tax. So you're not remitting it to the province for every building in that CRL and you get to keep it for 20 years. Okay. So the decision that I had when we were making the arena <sighs> deal was... Did I think Daryl Cates could build one drugstore? And did I think that the value of the land would go up by maybe 3.5%? And then I'd get still $630 million on uh, the capital side. Now, here's the trick. All the capital money from that area collected has to go to redeveloping infrastructure, capital infrastructure in the downtown. Mm -hmm. So that's why we were saying when we were talking about it, that it's downtown paying for downtown. And so that was the factor. It was a way for us to redevelop our downtown that we couldn't get any other way. How was capital infrastructure defined in that agreement? Just out of curiosity. Well, that's where it gets a little interesting because (laughs) I can tell by the smirk. I was curious. Yeah, today, (laughs) one of the things that I I am concerned about is what do we have against the CRL? Because that 630 million is worth way more. I think it's like one point. I have to go double check what the number is, but it's definitely over a billion. I think there's probably more of a fear and hesitation to billionaires than there might be in terms of a direct connection to what, what, like reality in that, because I know that Daryl Cates doesn't carry the best uh reputation in a lot of people's minds uh just in terms of how he's managed to push through what he wants in a lot of in a lot of people's minds from what i've heard again i'm not from well, edmonton it's just more the opinion i get from when i talk, hear people i know that if i've you're heard in, the conspiracy theories out there and yeah. a whole bunch of stuff and it's like seriously the reality was very different yeah. daryl wasn't happy with the end result neither was the city and usually quite frankly when you get to a deal you you make the deal when both sides are kind of yeah, we're getting the bulk of what we want. We're not getting everything. And that's yeah. kind of what happened. For and sure. in our situation, the original Northland site, the problem with it was the foundation. Okay. So we couldn't actually just renovate. We were looking about the same amount of money regardless. And would we get a CRL? Would it have that opportunity for us to get as much of our downtown redone as we could under the location that was chosen? Okay. So that's where we were coming from on the deal. Mm-hmm. And then well, I on definitely the side, need to look into CRLs because yeah. it's clearly something I don't understand. Well, and on the side gig for me, I mean, I was door knocking on it. Mm-hmm. And in my area, I had a heck of a lot of people that had moved in ironically from Winnipeg. That's okay. where my so I had a lot of people saying to me, and they didn't care about Kate's or anything else. They were like, do not lose our team. So it was very interesting how many people were very yeah. passionate about that. Former and I will, Jets fans that watched their team fly away. Yeah. And, and That's they felt exactly, that it became yeah. such a tragedy for their city. And now that they've got them back, you can see the pride. 
So the Oilers, whether people like it or not, matter to a heck of a lot of people who grew up here. Yeah. And I think that politicians need to respect that. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a factor. But in the end, it was the way to pay for downtown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that that makes sense. And I think that uh, you've brought up a lot of different things that the city has done and, and is capable of doing that we weren't even aware of, which I think is interesting. And then that actually kind of ties into, I think it was it was an overarching point on your platform, but also I think it was your third point in terms of wanting to um, increase the transparency of government, um, government spending, things of that nature. So kind of like the investment that you were just talking about through the CRL and making those things more clear, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, what kind of practical policies would you put in place to ensure that uh, people are more informed about those kinds of decisions, how money is moving around. Cause I know that there's Good a huge, question. there's a huge fear of that, especially well, if, if I think that re- look during the arena debate, if you went and looked at this stuff, I was not shy. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. I went on sports radio and I suck at sports, by the way. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I see like I, Bob Stoffer hats go off to that guy. He's got, I swear a photographic memory. Yeah. Like he knew every stat there was. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm here to talk about the fact yeah. it can pay for downtown <laughs> and uh, love the Oilers. Don't quiz me on any of the players or their stats because I'm going to fall flat on that. And yeah. I'm more than willing to say it on air. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pretend that I was a sport expert, but what I do get is that sports matter. Yeah. It's part of our lives and that we should be talking about how we can not only get an arena, we get other opportunity out of this. Yeah. And so that means politicians should be out there talking. Yeah. I went on to Jason Greger's show had a lot of fun. I met sports radio guys and I'd never thought I'd be on sports radio. So to yeah. answer your question, I think it starts at the top. Accountability starts at the top. Yeah. And what mm. the mayor needs to be is accountable for decision-making. They need to show leadership yeah. by coming out and taking the heat, being willing to talk about issues when we don't always agree. And I'll let you know, my and father... So I'm happy to come on this podcast if yeah. I get elected as mayor. And even if not, I'm happy oh, to come chat. We would Absolutely. gladly have you on yeah. here again. I'm happy to come on here and talk about, look, guys, this is why we're doing this to within a reason. Yeah. There are some areas where we get information we cannot share for obvious reasons. 100%. And one would be EPCOR. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we made the decision on creating capital power, we had to be... We were wearing a different hat. We are not politicians. We're shareholders of a corporation. Yeah. So there's areas where we have to be real and say, you know what? No, we can't actually talk about that. You've got to have a belief in representative democracy. And, you know, representative democracy means that you elect a person and you have faith that that person has the responsibility and that they are, when they get elected, that they are going to take it seriously mm-hmm. and that it's public service. Well, yeah, but and that the, they're going to research and do the right thing. Legally, and that, they don't have to do anything do. though. Yeah. You know? And I we've kind of discussed uh, that. <laughs> well, well that, legally that's the that big... one's hard, Evan. I mean, they have responsibility. They can't oh, just Everybody's do got anything. responsibility. I mean, everybody's got bills Absolutely. to pay. Uh, I, I think it's just more on the onset that we've inherently written or not written uh, the fact that basically a politician can say whatever they want and do completely the opposite. And you can see it on the onset when they made the budget, just for example, for something recent, I think 75 to 80% yeah, yeah. of Canadians wanted a wealth tax and yeah. we didn't do it. That's inherently authoritarian and that's not democratic. Uh, I, I think the issue that I have with just the way politic- politicians operate is they'll say something and then do the complete opposite. And I really appreciate you answering my questions about the... Uh, 
the 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 air uh, the airfield there. My, yeah, my he father, gets really heated. The, the reason about that. why I'm a little heated about it is because my father actually worked at the uh, Transport Canada hangar there. Uh, well, and I get it. So and it trust was, me, I, 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 I saw the other side. Of I mean, Evan, it, you know? don't kid yourself. Mm-hmm. I was out there and taking yeah. the heat. Yeah. I put my election on the line mm-hmm. two weeks before the election. I said, you know what? Because the easy political thing would be to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we hadn't figured this out. Yeah. Would be to put the airport issue on the ballot. Yeah. But you know what? Two weeks before the election, Bob Barker had been in our city talking about Lucy the elephant. Actually, it was a few months before. Yeah. And he had been talking about the need to uh, to bring a real pack up here so we'd send Lucy to the sanctuary. And I'm, I'm not a fan, actually, of having elephants at our zoo, but I did my homework. Mm-hmm. I pushed, actually, to get Samantha into a sanctuary. But Lucy, I, I actually met with the vet and did my research and discovered, you know, if we move her, I'm convinced that we'd kill her. And mm-hmm. I'm not prepared to do that. Yeah. I was actually the vice president of Animal Justice Canada, my TRU chapter so, there. So I can speak very candidly that that's the right choice. And, when and it came we're to getting that, back Lucy. to that, you know, the center. Yeah. I'm one of those people that researches, uses common sense, and I do believe in science. So in yeah. that situation, while I was listening to the sanctuary and the idea behind it, it turns out it took Samantha, we shipped Samantha who was much younger than Lucy and it took her, what I heard five years to actually acclimatize at the sanctuary she's at. Yeah. So it takes a long oh, time. Oh yeah. In well, and that's why case, Lucy is too, so far gone because she's she, never actually been in the wild. And mm-hmm. it was too late for her to be transferred. Yeah. And, and whether that's, you know, I, I feel bad, but that's the reality that we're facing. Yeah. There and, was no good option. That was really no, what I think yeah. people who are tied closely to the Lucy case. I, um, my sister works in marine biology primarily. She's now a, a uh, uh, teacher, but she, that was her, her main field of study, but she had studied all forms of animal. And then I worked in the animal legal side of things. And yeah, we had looked at every angle of it and there was just no way of justifying a move. Even if she's not happy now, it would only be worse in a different situation. So, well, and that's, that's exactly the practical reality that I faced when yeah. I was on council. So I recognized, okay. And then in fact, the funny thing is I pushed council at the time and said, if we're going to have a zoo, because I questioned whether we needed one. I yeah. actually thought, well, the Calgary Zoo is going the more the route. And why does every city need a zoo? And I got hammered on that. The public was loving their zoo. Mm-hmm. So I recognized that reality. But yeah. I pushed back on council and said, well, if we're going to have a zoo, then we need to fund it so it's more natural habitat. Yeah. Which is exactly what we did. That's yeah. excellent. Well, and that's that's yeah. how like the Vancouver Aquarium managed to partner with all the restaurants in order to create sustainability, Absolutely. right? And what you do is you get like everybody knows that in BC you're gonna get your seafood seafood restaurants. But if you have the Vancouver Aquarium saying this is ethically sourced and that's your badge of approval and they get pay based off of that, now it's a holistic, harmonized society that are working together. They're all patting each other's back for doing the right thing. So I think there's a lot of huge benefits there. I kind of want to switch just a little because I know we're going to be running out of time soon. And there's fact-based, there's evidence-based, and there's something that's been on my mind for, uh, I want to say, a year and a half now um, in Edmonton. Because we talk about funding, we talk about, um, and you've talked about on your podcast, but also just in your private life off this, or sorry, on your platform, but in uh, (laughs) to us, but (laughs) off this podcast, you had mentioned... uh, that there was substance abuse and mental health concerns in your in your uh, in your past and in life, not with you directly. But I'm curious when it comes to the police budget, um, marketing mm. around it, yeah. and how are we going to increase um, access to mental health for Edmontonians? I love the economic uh, advantages that we can create, but that's 
that's never not going to be enough for people who have gone through yeah. a lot of people who are going through things on a regular basis and we've just and, gone through a crisis well and last year yeah. i gotta say i was i was incredibly pissed off at the edmonton sun and uh mayor don iveson's approach to um how they were going to market what they did with the police budget because they took out front page ads uh saying that they reduced the police budget by 10 million dollars um when really what they did was they reduced the amount of the budget was increasing by 10 million dollars <laughs> and so they still increased it by 67 million dollars oh, that's they, that political speak we're talking yeah, about yeah it's the it's the <laughs> bullshit it's like yeah there's an air of truth that there's yeah. a nugget of corn in that crap and at the end of the day it's i i'm i'm curious you know leave it change it uh or or a new approach altogether do you have any uh any say or well, i haven't met so i'm meeting with um i'm gonna be meeting with police coming up okay. mm -hmm. I, I i'd really like to understand because remember i've been out for eight years yeah mm -hmm. so things have changed when i was on council we were focused on community policing which is what we were known for yep which is much more beat cop driven learning you know your beat getting to know the neighbors getting to know the businesses yeah and really trying to balance that preventativeness with that's the way it should be with yeah. uh, with uh, today, I'm not sure what they're dealing with, and I'll I'll give you an example. I'd mentioned that I was going to talk about data. Yep. I I want to see some data, and I'll give you an example of I why. I appreciate that answer. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we learned when I was on council was we were having bars that were pain in the. Well, actually, I had a strip bar in my ward. Oh wow! Which where, one? <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah. It's the one on 97th Street. Now you ask me, and I'm trying yeah. to remember it. Eden, Eden nightclub. Oh, that's it. Eden, yeah. no shit. Eden nightclub. So Eden nightclub backs on. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. So Eden nightclub has they're they're back. They're right on 97th, yeah. front facing. But what nobody knows is there's a back alley behind them, and then there's these houses. Yep. Yeah. So my residents call me, and they're like, "Listen, you politician, we got a problem here." These patrons are urinating in our backyards. They're oh, scaring us. They're doing all kinds yeah. of not really nice neighborly Adam's stuff. I was like, oh, I did do that one time. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So for you we're, lovely we're, patrons, we're and I'm not going to go there. We're, we're St. Pete's guys. Yeah. Sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Just kidding. So anyway, I believe that, you know, I believe in business. And yeah. so I went to the business myself, not somebody who normally walks into the strip club, but sure. I knocked yeah. on their door and said, hey, uh, you got a problem. I got a problem. Yeah. You doing your business fine, but your patrons shouldn't be urinating in the backyard of these residents. Huh. So they told me to pound sand. I wasn't too impressed. And uh, I ended up questioning, okay, well, what's going on with our bars in the city? Because I'd heard a lot of complaints from other counselors and it was getting pretty wild out there. Yeah. Hmm. I'm it's, surprised you yeah, didn't yeah. just switch on your legal hat right away and go, huh, nope. I bet we could rezone this since there's residential property here and have some fun with these assholes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, sand. actually, I wanted to solve the problem a little bit more than that because it was a bigger problem. So here's what we did. I actually teamed up with uh, Karen Libavici, okay. who was a counselor at the time, very data-driven. But she, what we did is we started looking at all the entities that enforce against bars in Edmonton. So that was planning, fire, police, who were the most frustrated. We pulled them all into a room together and mm. Karen got AGLC at the door, which is the provincial government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then what I did is I asked for data. And what I wanted was every address that was a bar, overlay it with where fire and police are spending all their time. Mm. And boy, did we get a, a real shock. Up. Yeah, no kidding. We had one bar in Edmonton that had 982 calls for service in Was one year. Was it the ranch? Nope. 
Oh, let's start Sorry. guessing. I'll tell you, it was downtown. It was downtown. Oh, that's Bar, good. It's probably local. Nine hundred and eighty-two calls were served. Like that's three a day, guys. The pint on white. <laughs> okay, it's before your time. York Hotel. Oh, oh really? Oh. Which was right next door to the downtown police station. Yeah, yeah. Squad that, four. That one God tiny bar was sucking up tons of police and fire resources. Now, that meant we could put a tax dollar amount to it. Yeah. So now we could see how much it was costing all of us for mm. this one bar. Yeah. So I believe in a carrot and a stick approach. And would you be the one that would be interested in maybe raising their property taxes if their business well, no. is costing no, 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 the no, city no. more? This or? is what we did. Okay, okay. So carrot and a stick. Yeah. So I actually was, Mandela was a very empowering mayor. So I had youth initiatives. So yeah. I worked with youth council, did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So what we did is we went to all the post-secondary institutions, McEwen Students Association, U of A. We know that university students were a university town. They're going to, try out bars, many students will. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted them to be in safe bars. Yeah. So what we did is we created the bar safe initiative. So if you're a safe bar, you get promoted <laughs> to the post-secondaries and <laughs> you like get this. inspected by this jurisdictional yeah. team. And if you're doing safe practice, I mean, some of the practices are pretty bad. Like we're talking chains across exit doors. Okay. Oh yeah. So that gets eliminated. Well, those, those bars make more money. Yeah. That's yeah. a good incentive and it's fair. Yeah. But if you're the York hotel and you're costing us a ton of money, yeah. well, we've got a new plan for you. You get three strikes, you don't play ball, then we are going to yank your business license to operate. Okay. Yeah. So you won't be operating in the city of Edmonton. And that's what happened to the York hotel. That is where data can help us make better decisions. Let yeah. me ask you this. The data about uh, coronavirus is pretty outweighing oh, the okay. fact that we should all get our vaccine. Now, <laughs> there's obviously a group of people that don't want to and want to be argumentative. Would you take the same kind of approach as you did in the past uh, in order to kind of move us forward with this vaccine? Uh, well, what I haven't understood about the vaccine is, you know, as a citizen, mm -hmm. as a person living in Edmonton, I get that I've watched the businesses have to shut down, especially yeah. the restaurants yeah. that yeah. I care about. Like I created Edmonton's Next Gen. And from Edmonton's Next Gen, this guy, Nate Box, was the one that told us that we did, had a bylaw that prohibited food trucks in our city. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, I got Ben Henderson. We worked together. We got rid of the food truck bylaw that prohibited food trucks. Well, yeah. Nate then was able to get enough money to get his first food truck. And that's how we got all these restaurants, you guys, because food trucks were proof of concept. Then they yeah. could get bank loans. So we've had this whole foodie culture from yeah. that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Edmonton is and a so wonderful place well, to We've been eat. watching them all have to close their bloody businesses. Why? Because those of us who can roll up our sleeves and get vaccinated need to do so, so that these businesses can stay open. But what mm -hmm. about our healthcare workers? Yeah. You know, where's the selflessness? I get freedoms and I get, mm -hmm. you know, independence, but democracy is based on majority. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that is why we don't have the tyranny of the minority. And so when I look at this issue, what saddens me mm -hmm. is the fact that people aren't willing to do the right thing. And the right thing is, if you are not in a situation where you medically can't get vaccinated, then get vaccinated Yeah, because you're helping out your neighbors. You're helping out the kid who's at the stallery with leukemia, who, if they're exposed, they can't get vaccinated. You're helping out the seniors in our city. Or the fat guy that even with vaccinated might get it and die. I, I get <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I are, don't are gonna, get the argument on the other side. Policy? In terms of bylaw or policy, look, yeah. it, the, here's the problem when it comes to municipalities. <laughs> mm hmm 
certainly you can do a mask bylaw and that's an easy, you know, mm -hmm. wear masks. If you start to see the science, then you follow the science. Mm -hmm. The provincial government, the provinces across with the federal government, this is really their area. It's their Unfortunately, lane. Yeah. And it's the reality that we're facing because when you introduce bylaws in cities, the problem that you get is in one city doesn't comply, you got this back and forth and it's really hard in a region, yeah. but I'll follow the science. And yeah. if I think that, that we have to take action, then I would, but you're limited in what you can do at the local level. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean, as I said before to you guys, before we started, what I love about the local politics is it should not be party politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm running because I believe in representative democracy. Mm -hmm. I believe in being accountable to the public and I believe in common sense decision-making and no. ideology gets in the way. I, I couldn't agree more. I brought I brought up something with with now the uh, the other three candidates we've had on, and I think yeah. actually you are the most perfect person to bring this up. Oh with. yes, and I'm just <laughs> kind of curious uh, yeah. because this is a collective was, idea. I suppose. Yeah, this is something that like when we were talking to Breezy, we it came up with. It of just course, came, uh, yeah, Breezy's just kinda, an innovative guy. He is, he oh, is. Yeah. and he's just he's a he's just an old soul, and he's a fun. He uh, is an old soul, and, and he he's very open minded, so he has a lot of cool creative ideas. I think, and uh, and it's sparked one in my 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 mind and i've brought it up and we've kind of refined it and talked about it now but um having having been a part of technology and building up the restaurant side of things mm -hmm. and knowing people who are doing locally local based apps have you would you uh, ever consider putting a portion of of the i already know small budget that the municipality gets towards developing a local based uh app to usurp skip the dishes and other predatory companies that are we know we're not hostile to, to business but they're they are hostile to people in mm. terms of how they treat their employees how the they restaurants. how they treat the restaurants these are why the, the those restaurants are going under is because 30 percent of their wages are being Absolutely. garnished right mm -hmm. and what did i talk about in the beginning i talked about you a company did. called uproot you yes, did yes, and that's did. where that's where this ties in and i'm very is, curious is an approach and it's private sector approach which I, I don't have a problem with what i find we get the best results ironically is when you bring private sector with not-for-profit with government. Yes. <laughs> I I do agree. There, and that's what, actually what we did. <laughs> assuming you can trim the administrative side of it because well, that's where you lose if you funds. Look at my, well, here's where fiscally I'm a little more on, like I'm in the center, but fiscally yeah. I can be more conservative. Yeah. When I look at the city's budget, like in 2013 when I left council, I've got yeah. to say I felt we left the city in pretty good shape. Uh, today my taxes have, and I actually ended up, we bought a, a a much, I had a 900 square foot house and my mother and my father-in-law moved in yeah. with a teenage son. Oh, my kid geez. was turning 13. I was losing my mind a little bit. Yep. You know, I'm embarrassed to say because having lived in South Korea, I mean, people there will live in a very small very much space. So. But we were fortunate enough to be able to, our friends decided to sell their house. Yep. And it's a house I always wanted. So we moved into a slightly bigger place in 2013. Mm -hmm. And my taxes have doubled since 2013. Yep. And I know on the non-residential side, which affects business, which, you know, I love surveys. You know, every city you got, the residents will say tax business, tax business. <laughs> the problem with that thinking is it's not government that makes money. Mm -hmm. It's business. And I understand that a lot more than I ever did, because when I started our first tech company, I had to, you know, I was it to start with. Yeah. Had to figure out how to sell it, how to get it. You know, it was unbelievable. And then once I had a team, I had to make payroll. And when, when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, I thought our first tech company was going to go under. Yeah. Like I felt the fear. 
Yeah. We were lucky we made it through, but uh, I sympathize for those. And I've got to tell you, 30% of Albertans were deferring their mortgages while they could, not yeah. that long ago. Yeah. So if you look at my, what I'm talking about is zero and then a zero. And we've got to do a review of our non-res and our residential tax rate. The reason why I bring up non-res is because we're becoming the hole in the donut. Mm -hmm. What's happening is it's cheaper for companies to go in the outskirts and not be in Edmonton. And if yeah. that trend continues, what will happen is the residential ratepayers taxes will basically in essence end up going up even more. Yeah. And the reason is because they're not going to have enough industry and business to offset. Yeah. So we got to deal with that and we've got to work with the region, but mm -hmm. this is a reality that Edmonton is facing now. And so we're going to have to be more fiscally responsible. There is a really interesting case study. I think you could really reference Detroit and a few places in Germany, Frankfurt, uh, a lot of towns around that as well had the same kind of issue. Uh, essentially, in Europe, most property is owned. It's not for sale. You rent. Well, you have actually uh, third generation mortgage. Very much so. And, you know, I, I see a lot of that kind of taking trajectory here in Edmonton when we put up these buildings. Like, for example, the Stantec Tower they just put up. Uh, the occupancy in that building is negligible compared to what they were hoping for. Now, granted, we've been through a pandemic. Yeah, I think you got to be realistic there. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely been some financial stresses on society, but, you know, those financial stresses definitely did trickle down to the lower income, right? And, you know, if we keep building these buildings that no one can really afford to live in pre-pandemic, you know, are, are you going to be taking any step towards homelessness that's going to put buildings together or places to live together for these people? Or is it going to be a continuation of we're just going to make the Edmonton core look better, even though the only people living there are investment companies and no actual bodies? So I believe in, in recognizing that those that are marginalized need supports. Mm. And I think where the mistake is that we've made, because I was on council when we started the 10 year plan in homelessness. Yep. And I worked with the youth council actually on a really amazing project where we did an art contest in all oh, cool. of the school systems on homelessness. Oh. And part of it was an educational piece. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was the first time, by the way, that the Francophone board had ever been included with EPSB and the city and the Catholic school board. Interesting. Oh, interesting. And so we got the youth council I mentored, but they went and got the sponsorship. We then had these... Uh, in fact, I can bring it on another podcast, but we had these beautiful brochures done that talked about, you know, what happens to people? Yeah. How do you become homeless? Like mm -hmm. my mom, I mean, I remember very well living in Laguna and my mom got emotional. My stepdad was a little different and my mom had to house clean mm -hmm. and I was house cleaning and she had to go on welfare for a while in the U.S. I can tell you that is the most humiliating thing you can ever do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, she picked herself up and went back to school and became a teacher and did well yeah. and was able to deal with it. But I've seen how tough it can be for people. And I've been on ride-alongs. I've seen what the police are dealing with. And it's a complicated issue. But here's where, again, data can be a little useful. Mm -hmm. So I think that we've been treating homeless as one homogeneous group. And I think that that's where we're, we're making an error. Yeah, uh, you've got hard to house. And I was told not to say addicted. From somebody but hard to house addicted or substance yeah you know whatever honestly you want to the say. terminology as long as you're you're clear with what you mean by it it does it like i and find frankly, that so many people want to everybody use smokes words. weed most people drink we're all taking substances 
You it's know, like, I really so don't I think don't, that's where we I need to focus I think it's the people on. who have, who are addicted and are having problems and they're on the yeah. streets that I'm talking about. Yeah. For sure. So those people, there's a differences within even that group. Definitely. But that's where we need the massive supports. That's where we need the province to kick in. That's where we need to get them an address. And C5 and some of the others, like I just toured the Bissell Center the other day. They're doing some pretty awesome stuff. They are. They are really actually changing the game. And I think we need to get back to that collaborative model, Mm -hmm. which in Edmonton, I actually believe is possible because that's the backbone of why I like this city is that remember, our citizens still care. Mm -hmm. So we can use that caring to actually work on making a difference. And that's where we target our resources. So I'm gonna push the province when it comes to supports on the mental illness side. Now here's where innovation and technology can kick in. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting stuff starting to come out on the neurological side where you can take virtual reality. It's working on PTSD, for example. It is, yep. So there is some stuff happening where they're learning more about the human brain that we can help people more effectively. You know, one of the guys that I spent some time with who was chronic homeless, it was turned out he, he couldn't read or write. Mm. Yeah. So there we needed supports to get him to be able That's to read and write. It's a big issue, yeah. It's well, a huge issue, a lot especially of people with often, male homeless. Well, yeah. A lot of people often forget, like, well, why, why doesn't he just get a job? Well, he needs a phone. He needs an address. He needs internet connection to be able to apply, Absolutely. right? He's going to need a printer. He's going to need to be able to read and write. Absolutely. He's going he's gonna to need a place to bathe. He's going to, like, there are the amount and regular meals, the amount of yeah. things that you need before you can get to that step is often overlooked by by i think one of the trigger words of privilege right the privilege of never having had to live through such a life well and, and i think that anyone who is in a privileged life and i will say that i feel privileged oh but yeah I remember, but we're, all, we're, all, we're all pretty privileged you know, I yeah. do remember it's fresh the, water when i turn the tap on exactly that's better than we're all privileged living in this planet. country period yeah. yeah let's be real yeah but i uh, i think it's part of our role to give back yeah, couldn't agree I, more. That mm-hmm. is, and to me, politicians, here's one of the things I will say. I'm sick and tired of people wanting to attack politicians. I get why. Yep. Yeah. But I'll tell you what the problem is with that thinking. Who the heck next is going to run? Who the hell are we going to get? Well, like, I think I got to tell you, especially for female politicians, you should see the stuff we get on social media. Oh, it's insane. Oh, I, like I've we are the it. most attacked and you know, I'm not going to do the woe is me and say I'm the victim here, but how am I going to get women to run? And you know what? We do need women to run. Absolutely. How and am minorities. I, I mean, you got Jag me getting. Get, yeah. yeah. This is the stuff that we've got to stop. Right or left, I don't give a flip. What yeah. I do care about is that politicians make decisions that affect our lives. Yeah. And the local politicians matter. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would argue more than, they matter more than any other level. I yeah. agree with that. Because yeah. we make decisions that directly affect your life. Yeah. And so I get that everyone is focused on the potholes, the cutting the grass. I hear it at the doors. Oh, and I yeah. understand about the back garbage. to the basics and the garbage. <laughs> and we're going to have to review our transit system. And obviously we've got some challenges. I've got an idea for the transit system if you want to hear it. Well, that we can do off no this worries. podcast because yeah. I'm losing time here. Here, yeah, but, I, know, I was uh, going to say, yeah, yeah, but, we, yeah, we do have to wrap it up for you. But yeah. I will say that the answer to your question is I don't have all the answers, but I do believe I can empower a whole bunch of us yeah. to work together and to start using data, using common sense and not ideology to make decisions and working on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I do that by getting up to speed. So I'm meeting with police to figure out what they've got to say. Yep. Uh, Cause I don't understand why we're going a little bit more paramilitary. The whole tank thing. I want to understand. Yep. Uh, I do think technology can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you, an, you know, there's a lot of things we need to think about. 
but drone technology can make a huge difference. Okay. I'll tell you one area that I am worried about. We have the world's best river valley system. Nobody's talking about what if a fire really gets hold in there and we're having a more of a Fort McMurray experience. Yeah, no, yeah that would be a... Or well, if we have why more are we using local drone technology that has infrared yep. making sure that we spot those fires before they can start? Like, Actually, these are the kind of ways we can help local businesses. We can think outside the box yeah. and yet we can protect a jewel that we all care about. And that let's be real, if we want to con combat climate change... We can't have a fire taken there. You want to talk about CO2 with all the yeah. fires burning in BC? Yeah. This is the stuff and this is the way we need to start thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. And so when I talk about vibrant and connected city, and I know we didn't get to everything else, what why we say, you know, I'm bold and balanced is because I'm balanced when it comes to understanding the basics. I have a grounding and understanding the stuff we need to do yeah. to have a city, yeah. to keep the taps on, to, you know, make things run. And right. I know we have, we're in tough. And yeah. I have the fiscal grounding to recognize we just can't spend to get our way out of it. Yeah. And so that's why I decided to step back up because yeah. I love this city and I want my 21 year old, he can go elsewhere, but I want him to come back as soon as he has kids. Cause he's all I got. Yeah, that's fair. And I want the grandkids. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to hear that on this podcast. Yeah. He's probably like, really mom, but his generation, the other area that we're not talking about is esports. Yeah. Oh, like, hell yeah. Dota was posting 60 million USD in prize money and now 80 million USD. League of Legends World Series surpassed the Super Bowl in what, 2017? Yeah, Fortnite. And none of them. us are talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I have a gamer son. One of the things that I'm ticks me off, I have to admit, <laughs> is where's the girl esports team? There's oh, yeah. an equalizer here and I've done virtual reality. We have an Oculus Rift. Mm -hmm. oh, I've nice. tried that out and it's an equalizer because I can use my experience and actually beat in a space game. But when it comes to the reflexes, forget it. I'm yeah. toast. But there's nothing stopping a girl esports team. And yet I'm not seeing that. It's like we talk about STEM. We talk about these things. Esports is big moneymaker. It is. Why don't we have a new esports at our new downtown arena? Or, you know, I'm on that. I'm well, on I know that. the Canucks yeah. signed an esports yeah. team. I think they were the first NHL team well, to do that. Well, have you guys gone to a Stingers game? I didn't even realize we had the coolest basketball going. In fact, I... It, I didn't even know there was a basketball oh. game. <laughs> My wife loves it. Dudes, you need to check this out. Yeah. Like, Stingers is amazing. It was fast paced. It was so awesome. Oh, and they won. I bought a, t I bought a, I'm going to be getting tickets next year. Like I was there for the last game. So obviously. Oh, you were just there? Yeah, I was At there. At the expo. I, I just it went to so the awesome. uh, Van Gogh Muse uh, exhibit when they had the oh, same. Oh, I want to go. Yeah, yeah that was really But anyway, nice. <laughs> Stingers was super freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's technology I've seen where you can actually, instead of chucking beer at you, I, no, actually, what am I saying? Instead of checking t-shirts at you, I'll take beer. Yeah, they I'll chuck take beer. virtual beers and you catch it with your smartphone and oh, then you go cool. redeem them. And then you can, oh. That already exists. It's like Pokemon Go on steroids. That's oh. so cool. Now there's a whole yeah. ethical uh, discussion we could have on, Ooh. have on gamification, if but you, it's coming. If you registered that. <laughs> In a different country, it wouldn't, well, you could probably give away liquor because you can't give away <laughs> liquor. But if you do it on an app, it's from a different, oh, that's, that's, that's a so cool So to get back to your cool original idea. point, Tristan, I like it. look, one of the things you'll see on my platform, I talk about a Yeg Connect app and it's a start. Yeah. Yeah. I got the idea actually from the Filipino community. Oh, okay. So they have immigrants that are coming in here and for all Very of those people out community. there that don't get this, we need immigration. We do. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Especially for the car industry, they know Ponoy Auto is oh, like yeah. it runs like, like the we Filipino need immigrants, com- people. Yeah, I don't together. know if people figured this oh, out. My, but I'm an we immigrant. Do. <laughs> and what I love about Edmonton, we're all, we're all white here. We're all immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's be let's be honest. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned so much from yeah. mixing. We also need to do a better job of mixing. Yeah. White yeah. people and black people and brown people, instead of having divide and talking about like defunding the police, which is just dividing people. Mm. Where do we get with that? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is have conversation and start bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it with my campaign. Like I have a Sikh leader who's been taking me and I took him to the uh, Dutch event when they did the unveiling of the Anne Frank statue. Oh, nice. It was the first time he'd ever been in a group that had that many white people. Yeah. <laughs> Fair but enough. he also learned about Anne Frank. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to do more of that. Yeah. But um, yay gap. The idea behind it is the Filipino community wants to help Filipino immigrants, but there's no easy way to connect. And it needs to be off the city website because we can use it as a tool. One of the guys, Sharif Ali, who heads up the African center. And I talked to him because when I was in council, I worked with Stephen Mandela on creating the African center. It was a way to get young men in particular to have an outlet mm-hmm. yeah. instead of drug dealing, which is what we were hearing concerns from the community around. Mm. We wanted to give them opportunity for sports. Yeah. And so it was the Muslim community that actually came together and worked with us. And I've done an amazing job of working with the youth. Yeah. But yes. um, in talking about the African center, we discovered that it ha- is working. It's making a difference. Yes. That's the type of way we need to think. Yeah. 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 And you know, whether it's the African center, but talking to these people, we need to get them connected. And so Sharif told me one of the reasons why he immigrated was that when he was looking from the African center was created before Sharif was involved. Yeah. But he saw the African center on the city website that made him decide that if this place in Edmonton Mm -hmm. in Canada cares about people who are from African descent, that he'd have a home here and a place here. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets back. That's really to, cool. Yeah. That gets back to what matters about Edmonton. It comes to, I know it sounds really cheesy, but it comes to the heart. It comes to the fact that we care. Yeah. I think that goes for all. And if we Canada. lose that, then we lose what matters. Yeah. yeah. And that is why, even though I could stay in my tech company and, and, you know, if I lose, that's what I'll do. Um, I'm making a run for mayor because I think as a leader, I can do more. Yeah by empowering, by actually standing up. And yeah. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm sure if I get elected, you guys will hi- have me on here and yell at me. <laughs> we won't do ad hoc attacks, though. I can guarantee no, that. No, no. The um, one thing that we will always promise, it will always be on substance. But, yeah. but I'm not afraid to stand up and I'm not afraid to speak truth to power, but yeah. also I'm not as afraid to, when I can, recognizing there's some things, politicians, you have to have some faith in them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if we lose faith in politicians, and I'm sorry, our democracy is going in another direction. Yeah. So you have to, no matter how much you hate it, we need to have people step up. Yeah. Yep. And we need to respect that people are stepping up. For, so for all those haters out there who love to troll, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. give your freaking head a shake yeah. and start asking yourself, what world do you want? Yeah. And with that, gentlemen, I'm kind of out of time. That, that's perfectly <laughs> fair. <laughs> Uh, what a great place to end you, it. You, yeah. sign, you sign us off today. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, we normally ask with what you want to hang your hat on. I think you did a pretty darn good job there <laughs> of uh, summarizing that. So everybody, that was uh, Kim Cruchel running for uh, Edmonton mayor in the upcoming municipal election. So make sure that you are uh, reading up on everybody, all the candidates here. Do make your sure research. You always do your research, as Kim would uh, encourage you to do. Get the data there before you make yep, any decisions. Get the data, yeah. Yeah. And on that uh, note, guys, uh, thank you 
you for tuning in. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next Friday.